Welcome to the Movement Made Better podcast, powered by Stick Mobility. We are your hosts, Dennis Dunphy and Neil Valera. Hello, welcome to our podcast. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, today's guest, besides Melvin here, we have Kelly Manzone, a good friend of the Stick Mobility family. So thank you for coming on, Kelly. We'll let you give the listeners a little background on yourself there. Okay, it's hard to condense everything, but I've been an athlete my whole life and in the industry now for 17 years. I would say that I had an evolution early on in my career of kind of being more drawn to unconventional training tools. And I guess that's pretty much primarily what I'm known for these days. I live and work in the Fairfield County, Connecticut in Westport. I live in Fairfield and I work with the general population, but I also created my own workshops a few years ago where I incorporate stick mobility whenever I have an opportunity to teaching kettlebells, stick mobility, like paired with kettlebells as a priming tool, and then along with Indian clubs and mace. I could go on and on about other things, but I think that would complicate (laughs) everything that I do. So your social media handle is at Kells Bells? At Kells Bells 88, yep. At Kells Bells 88, so... If you're not following Kelly, definitely jump on her social media so you can see what she's doing in the uh, fitness and training community. But kettlebells and mace bells are your big, are some of your biggest tools. That's yes. what you're into. I, I was first introduced to kettlebells in 2005, 2006, but it wasn't until I first found my original kettlebell mentor, Anthony Delugio, of what was Art of Strength in 2008 that I really dove into kettlebells. And then throughout my pregnancy, I wrote articles for his website and I did a lot of reviews on some of his training tools. So basically half the tools behind me are still from Art of Strength back in 2008, 2009. The Slater Log, a lot of my kettlebells, my shot loaded kettlebells. And that's actually when I was introduced to a balava, which is a short mace. So Anthony was very like monumental in teaching me progressions and regressions through vintage strength tools. So we learned a lot of like the traditional lifts, but before we ever snatched the kettlebell or pressed a kettlebell, we learned how to do that with a barbell and a dumbbell first. So his system really resonated with me. And it still is kind of like the backbone of a lot of what I do today. So you started with conventional and then progressed to unconventional? I got my start in, when was it? Well, 17 years ago, 2003, was it? Yeah. So I was originally working out as a gym member in Danbury in my early 20s. And I was one of the only women that was lifting in the weight room. And people stopped me thinking that I worked there. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm just working out. I don't, I don't work there. A lot of the women were on the, you know, cardio equipment and I was one of the only women in the lifting room. And then I also was in a huge like calisthenics phase back then. I don't know. It was crazy. I could do like two finger pushups with my thumb and middle finger, a bunch of unbroken pull-ups and all this kind of stuff. And I was fascinated by what my body could do or what the human body was capable of. And I moved to Orlando in my early twenties around that same time And it happened to me again. I was working out at a gym and I had seen this guy who was a basketball coach a few times and he approached me and he's like, you know, I coach this women's team. I think you're a great representative of strength. He thought I was a coach. And I'm like, no, I'm like, this is just me doing my thing. And that's how I realized that I kind of found my career. And when I moved back to Connecticut, I got my start at New York Sports Club. And that was my first experience in fitness, which happens to a lot of trainers, which is sort of a 
mainstream, conventional corporate experience. And very quickly, I realized that I didn't quite fit in. Because <laughs> I was like, I didn't understand the concept of sitting people down and having them go through like 10 machines in order. Mm. And, you know, press and push. And I'm like, but movement is so dynamic. Why are we making it so linear? During that time, I started to teach yoga because I've always been fascinated by cultures and all that kind of stuff. While I was teaching yoga, I realized, and you guys know from my hypermobility because you've seen it, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I started to have issues with my SI joint always going out. My shoulders would, you know, like I wasn't in pain, but I knew my body wasn't where it was supposed to be at. And that's when I really dove further into the strength training aspect and unconventional tools. And I kind of drew back from yoga. And I realized that being in a uh, conventional and corporate experience that when you're getting your education, a lot of times it's really rushed and it's not the in-depth, you know, experience that you really need to be a proper teacher. So when it came to kettlebells, I was offered to go to a training that the the corporation was going to pay for. At that same time, that same week, I came across Anthony Delugio and I was like, I'm going to spend my own money and I'm going to go and learn from him. And that was the best decision I had ever made. And when I left corporate fitness 10 years ago, when I had Leonardo, before that, before I left, I was always paying for the education out of my own pocket. So I did get some education through the corporate experience, but my eye and my heart was always drawn to other methods or you know people that kind of were their own business small business as you know I love supporting small business Mm -hmm. but it's kind of like how I came across you guys I remember reaching out because you were one of the first pages on Instagram that I started following and you weren't I I contacted you and you were like the sticks aren't even available yet I was like what that's right yeah yeah. I was like I need that in my life because I saw how what I was currently doing needed that kind of a system how it could you know complement one another Mm. but yeah that's kind of how I got started with reaching into other avenues and and from there it just progressed and I've been very fortunate to have amazing mentors along the way so when you were talking about as far as the club covering some of your education was there only certain programs that they were willing to pay for then so it's like I got my they they helped with NASM then they helped with like you know stretching pre and postnatal CPR yoga, that yoga uh, certification that I did. I taught group fitness then. So there was uh, specific ones that you had to go to in order to do group fitness. And then when it came to kind of specialty stuff, I decided to go and out on my own. I found like with kettlebells, I wanted an experience that really resonated with me. And once I came across Anthony and his material, it it just was like, okay, and I'm not insulting the other aspect of, you know, what they were offering. I just knew that that resonated with me. And I saw a lot of potential to build off of that, to branch off of that. It it was a more cohesive message Mm -hmm. and like a more in-depth experience. And that's what um, I I went to, I got certified by Anthony and then I probably went to four or five additional workshops that he ran. And, um, and then I have 
a bevy of all the equipment that he put out at that time. So you had talked about how you were one of the only women in lifting weights. Why is there that stigma or lack of understanding as far as strength training with women? I'm not sure. I wish I knew. But, you know, for myself, I have an athletic build. It's funny. I've always kind of worked out for um, skill, for challenge, for strength, for exploration, for improvement. Like it it was my, my experiences have never been like completely aesthetically driven. The aesthetics part is kind of just, you know, something that is along for the ride, in my personal opinion. I have an athletic build. So, you know, I'm a lot heavier now than I was during my calisthenics phase. But during that phase, I mean, I was, I guess, ripped, you know, and and everybody was like, I was too muscular. And I never understood, you know, but I was healthy and I was happy. I don't know if it's from all the images that that women are, are kind of fed. You know, now I'm in my 40s. I feel better than ever. But constantly every day I'm being told I need to inject something, enhance something, change something. And that just, and but I feel better than I ever have. So it's like, it's funny now to kind of be on the other end or see like the evolution of how I've trained myself. And now I think of what I do in this decade is going to prepare me for my 50s. And I want to think of the long run. And when I'm talking to women nowadays, I want them to think of grip strength, foot health, joint health, or capability rather than just focusing on an aesthetic. I don't know. I think it's changing a little bit. But around here, because I'm in Fairfield County, and I know definitely in in California, there's definitely pockets where the pressure is to kind of be like a woman that's on a conveyor belt. You know, it's like the same thing. (laughs) And I think that's the beauty of the media has been for me is I simply started sharing my journey of returning to my strength after I fought infectious colitis for three years and I was so sick and so emaciated and when I started to share my recovery of getting strong again my body building its strength back it resonated with people and that just kind of chain chain balled into online training and then my own workshops and then traveling around the country then traveling to England which got canceled because of corona (laughs) (laughs) so but you know I think that's it's pretty fantastic and I hope that women think about you know, if something interests them, go for it, go explore it. And I think sometimes we're way too hard on ourselves. I think we're all guilty of that at sometimes. But I think it's pretty fantastic when you dial into these tools or different methods, or and if you train for kind of like the mental and physical aspects of things rather than just the aesthetics. And, you, and that there's nothing wrong with that too. But just, I think there's more fulfillment in a more rich experience. We think about everyone should be strong Mm -hmm. or at least have some type of strength base right do you find that it's you have an easy time or a a relatively easy time transitioning new female clients into that ideology or that thought process of it's okay to be strong i think it's mixed you know like um i up until recently so i recently left a, a facility that i was teaching bar classes at because corona happened and there's just had to move on because they can't reopen and you know all that kind of stuff i've found that the women are super supportive of me like they follow me on media a lot of them that take my classes and though they don't necessarily are not interested in training in the other modalities that I do, but they appreciate it and they encourage and they're, they're like, that's fantastic. 
So that's with like people that have done my bar classes. And then I have the people that have done all of my kettlebell classes or the sturdy athlete program, which I created for tennis people, which includes the stick mobility in the programming, you know, and then my personal training clients, it's kind of like a mix, you know, like I've always worked in mainstream fitness, though I don't think in the mainstream. So I'm always kind of a bit of a hybrid and I could provide people what, you know, resonates with them while with others kind of mesh both worlds together. And I think that's fantastic. Like a lot of the women are really interested in Indian clubs. So I've been getting women to do that more often. So a lot of the people now that are contacting me for training are also fitness professionals. So I have a lot of online clients right now currently that are fitness professionals and they happen to be women, a couple men too. And then that's what was attending my workshops. So once I realized, once I got outside the bubble of Connecticut, I realized, even though I felt like this a little anomaly in Fairfield, there's lots of women from all around the country, all different ages that started to attend my workshop. So I started having women primarily that were signing up who were in their 50s, you know, mid 40s, 50s, 60s, and even, you know, in their early 70s coming to my workshops. And I was like, that's amazing. All these little layers of getting to know people from around the country. That's fantastic. One of the reasons why we absolutely love you is because you are that bar or that example that uh, to set for other ladies to say it's okay to lift oh, some weights and, and to have that mobility. <laughs> but it's a good combination of mobility and strength, which is Absolutely. hard to find. Yeah, I well, mean, I, yeah. I think that you're the perfect example, you know, for our program and what we're trying to do with people is get them strong, but have that movement quality too. What I've re- yes, and and what I realized with stick mobility early on was it was a way to kind of address some of the the things that were inhibiting my client's movement. It, I was able to mobilize the body properly, to prime to help them recover to build strength as you know like if you don't try stick mobility when you try to explain it first to somebody they're like hmm then you try it and then immediately they're like ah like now i get it and literally i still use the stick mobility every single day and i'm really bummed about like corona affecting my sturdy athletes program because that was like a passion project because i realized that there was a lot of women in this area who play tennis who what, they walk around with, you know, something got tennis elbows, so they're bandaged here. Then they got, you know, something wrong with their Achilles and they're bandaged there, foot problems, ankle problems. And I was like, I'm going to, there's a need for something. And the, the problem was these women were using tennis to get fit instead of getting fit for tennis. And then all they do is cycle through PT. So every three months they're in a PT office And it's like, here's two or three exercises. Here's two or three stretches. See you in like three to six months. So the chronic injury with, you know, either labrum tears or shoulders. And I was like, okay, like I'm going to reach out to the community and be like, and I started doing free demos with stick mobility. So it was stick mobility. And I also incorporated Indian clubs for dexterity with the hands and grip and then addressing synchronous and asynchronicity with the body, circular patterns, and the rock mat for their feet to address foot issues. And then also I have a few sand dune in sand dune and then some original strength resets. And so I had a great group going and it was like maybe like three months or so 
four months before Corona times. And it's a, it's a couple towns over. And now with like the new school protocols, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it in person until things resume a little bit more normalcy. But I was really proud of that. And then bringing stick mobility to any MACE workshop that I was teaching was like ideal. So if I'm in a room with 12 or 14 people, I could use some of the very basic stick mobility priming movements to assess the room. And I could know immediately like, okay, that person is going to have an issue going to creating that transverse turn through the shoulders or creating the bull horns in they lack the mobility to, you know, put their hand to the base of their neck in the backswing. And that's after I had taught my third MACE workshop, I was like, okay, if, if I'm local, I need to bring stick mobility. And that's what I've been doing ever since. And then I started to film um, a priming for circular patterns and a recovery for circular patterns with stick mobility. And I created like a private like YouTube link for those that attended. And then a lot of people ended up purchasing stick mobility to use on their own. Are there certain moves that you do, you know, the priming movements that you're doing with the sturdy athletes that you're doing with your Mace, um, Mace Club athletes? That well, kind of transfer across both programs? Well, definitely bow and arrow for sure. Snake reach, shoulder dislocates, the snap, slap shot. I do, you know, uh, the circles, hammer. Yep. Yeah, all, all those. The, oh, I'm drawing a blank. Okay, I have to perform it now. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Two sticks right in between our trigger feet. Hip hinge, you know. Oh, the X, the X pattern. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, the X that. pattern for the for the thoracic spine. Yeah. Yes. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, what I realized was the ones for the sturdy athletes program was a little bit different because with sturdy athletes program, I did all the fo- footwork with stick mobility. Then we worked into their hips. So you know the ninety ninety Captain Morgan's. All those variations. Dumpy squat was you know those ladies were like, where are my glutes? What are these things? You know, like, it doesn't feel normally straight train. It was a way for me to tap into a clientele to tie back in what you were saying before about women in strength. Here I am, a muscular person, and they're aware of like, you know, me doing kettlebell sport and all these other things. And they're intimidated by that and they don't want to get hurt. So they see strength training as something that for them personally may be unattainable. But when you take the Dumphy squat, and you really work it, that's some real strength, as you guys already know. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so there's other ways to kind of work in the simplicity of Captain Morgan's or the single leg RDL. So I had them doing a bunch of like footwork on the dune or on the rack mat. Then we would go into the stick mobility like RDL series. So you have a bunch of people that are recovering from ankle injuries and you can, like, you have to take their shoes off. Just taking their mm-hmm. shoes off was like an experience. So it's yeah. like, I was like, ladies, get to know your hands and get to know your feet. Because if your hands are healthy and your feet are healthy, you have a greater chance of like remaining, you know, injury free, which, you know, I think that's like the education for women needs to be that. Is it's like, let's not just rely on a PT office every three to six months or a massage therapist. Like stick mobility and integrating original strength resets or kettlebell work, whatever that may be, gives you a solid system and foundation so that you become more resilient. And that's the whole point. Who wants to be injured every three months? Exactly. Exactly. They can't play. Oftentimes they go into paddle. So I started like, you know, working with a lot of paddle athletes. 
doing stick mobility with them too. So paddle athletes, like paddle boarders or? Oh no. So like, so paddle tennis. So paddle. The oh, paddle. okay. So it's like tennis is typically like, you know, the summer, spring mm-hmm. into fall and then when it gets cold out they go to a paddle ball court some people play on paddle we actually have a paddle ball court here at my condo so sometimes you see me training in it on instagram but it's like a harder surface and it's a different style ball but you play it in teams and it's a winter sport but it's another pat it's like similar to tennis welcome to the northeast <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so i found that like i could transition what was happening with the sturdy athletes and take them into their paddle season helping them along the way so that was that was a lot of fun and i was trying to get one locally here going in fairfield and i met with two people that run some of the, the tennis bubbles locally and then corona happened so okay. maybe next year it'll it'll be back have you figured out a way to transition any of these uh, programs to virtual? You know, that's a good question. So, uh, guys, you know me pretty well. Technology is not like my biggest <laughs> thing. <laughs> like, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really trying. Like, my friend helped me with a new website. I'm not very good talking on camera. Like, I, I feel like I need to get better with the, the virtual stuff. I personally feel more comfortable or like I shine and instruct better when I'm in that in-person mm-hmm. experience. I have had some success since Corona happened with a few online programs that I've put out with Original Strength and with my mentor, Paul Volkovinsky with um, Indian Club and Mace and then Clubs Flow and Rock and Roll with Dania Almeida of Original Strength. I, I have to get better at that. But honestly, okay. the past couple of months, I've just been like, whoo, <laughs> one day. It's just practice. Time. Yeah, it's just practice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're, you're on camera right now and I think you speak great. <laughs> but it, it's such an odd thing. Like you can, you it's odd to be able to stand in front of a classroom of people and just do your thing. But yet you switch that to a camera and it's a completely different ball game. Oh my gosh. So I flew down to North Carolina in late April. So two weeks later, I was in St. Louis for one of the four workshops and the other three got canceled. But Danny and I were filming Clubs Flow and Rock and Roll. And like, I didn't get comfortable in front of the camera talking till like the fourth hour. <laughs> but I was just like, and circle one. And like, I'm like, why am I so robotic? And then, then I'm saying like the same word over and over again. So like, while I'm talking, I'm like, did I just say so again? And then like, so comes out of my mouth. And I'm like, so it's yep. practice. I'll get there. <laughs> but I, I like I now have the, the ability, because um, we're talking on my laptop, yay, got this during Corona time, so up in my game, and now I've got to get a new phone, which is happening next week, and I have a now a hard drive that I can plug in and download stuff, so I'm slowly learning. I'm going to a, a computer class at Apple, because I called too many times, and the guy's like... <laughs> <laughs> there you go. He's like, just get in here. We'll just, <laughs> ah, that's fantastic. Oh, that's yeah, awesome. I was like, okay, you won me over. I need to learn. So for the clubs in the back that you have, the Indian yeah. clubs, what are the heaviest ones that you have back there that you're, that you're swinging? So, uh, okay. I have these meals from my friend, Peter at body mind fit. He's in England. He was supposed to be our host for one of my two workshops in England that got canceled in bath. He's in bath. These are 12.5 pounds each. And this is my heaviest club as far as like either like the meal or jewelry. But I have 
this is the polyvinyl XL. This is filled up to 20 pounds. And then I also have behind me a 20 pound packed fit steel club. My clubs are anywhere between, you know, here is a beautiful emerald green that my buddy Mike Rominski just made me as a gift. And it's got my name on it. Thank you, Mike. Very nice. But they're like uh, one, this is 1.25 pounds. So for Indian clubs, typically like a woman will swing somewhere between like one pound, two pound men two to three pound but the collection just it, i don't know it breathes over here it just keeps growing <laughs> are the movements a little bit different when you're using the heavy clubs yes and no so like what i've realized is there's a lot of like crossover so obviously like with circular tools you know they're what i love about them which i think is important because i tie it into stick mobility is the connection with the tool right so much like a kettlebell literally becomes an extension of the body and it should feel effortless at times. The same thing applies with Indian club, mace, whatever club you're kind of swinging, it becomes an extension of the body. But you're also, you know, really stimulating your central nervous system and you're having the elbow crossing the midline of the body, which, as you know, is really important. So what I found was if I was expecting people to kind of, you know, have that ability to create an elbow circle, whether it's inward or outward, I happen to be very mobile. So once I started traveling and and I started incorporating Indian clubs as a precursor for mace training because my demographic was becoming more diverse. So I realized that there's a crossover with, um, so Indian club parallels, that's the transverse turn through the shoulder. But if you take the Indian club out and you grab a mace, there's that transverse turn through the shoulder. So it goes from being two hand to one hand on the same lever. But if you don't have the ability, if your lateral lines are too restricted, and your scapula doesn't move the right way, you're gonna have a hard time creating that transverse turn through the shoulder. So the more I traveled, the more I taught and got in front of people that I didn't know, I was like, I have to find a way to address this. And that's where stick mobility became an option. So even when I was traveling and I couldn't have stick mobility there, I would like reach out to that person and we would have like a FaceTime session or I would send them like, videos of like, you know, I don't know if you're interested in stick mobility, obviously, you know, this is just simply, I'm simply sharing what I've found has worked. So I know that wasn't quite your question, but I had to tie in the importance of stick mobility because a lot of these tools are gaining in popularity. And then there's a misconception that they're going to create mobility. They mobilize, yes, but you need to have a certain amount of proper range of motion in order to utilize these tools properly. And that's where stick mobility came in as a solution or at least a part solution, because obviously some people have had really bad surgeries and their shoulder, you know, or they have frozen shoulder, you know, everybody's case is different, but it was one more tool in my toolbox along with like original strength resets and some of the other things I've learned along the way that I could provide somebody some information on if they wanted to incorporate these tools. Do you find a lot of new male clients that want to try to get into the heavier clubs right away? Oh, that, that happens often, especially like, so there's a difference between a steel mace and a gata. 
So the steel mace, a lot of like the ones that are kind of mainstream, whether it's, uh, you know, like where you could purchase on it, set for set, incline fit, garage fit, they're, they're all very similar in length. So they're quite short. And then the weight distribution is throughout versus like, so this one just happens to be behind me. So this one just happens to be my favorite because it's my Led Zeppelin got a Oh, very oh, nice. And me, nice. buddy. But this is two inch thick bamboo. That was just my personal request. But with bamboo, right, it, it, all the weight, all is, ooh, right. don't want to break it, is in the mace head, yeah. you know, and it's a very different feeling with bamboo. And you can see the one that's kind of right there, even though it's like, it looks straight because it's a natural material. It's not exactly straight. So there's a lot of natural flex in bamboo and feedback that you get. So it's, I, I kind of think of sometimes, and like I swing steel all the time. I love steel. But when I think of like polyurethane Indian clubs or steel mace, it's almost like kind of having like earmuffs on. And then all of a sudden when you're swinging like natural material like wood in bamboo, that has like a feedback that's very natural or flex to it. There's this immediate kind of like central nervous system or stimulation that comes to the to the mind and the body and it becomes like a serious connection to the tool if that makes sense yeah no very much so it's a it's a vastly different material so of course your properties are going to change uh and the flex of the bamboo and the vibration pattern through the bamboo is going to be vastly different too so yeah it's fantastic and it depends on like so you can't see it but i have another bamboo over here that's very thin oh you might be able to see it pointing sort of right there right there so like the the thickness of the bamboo and the style of the bamboo changes so i have like one bamboo mace in the background that when i swing it after a while there's something with that particular bamboo that you know how like Spider-Man climbs up a wall and it's like mm-hmm. sticky. Yep. Mm-hmm. That bamboo becomes like sticky. So it's almost like I have like a putty or a glue and it doesn't slide or anything. It just feels like, you know, it's, it's very interesting mm-hmm. where this one is kind of similar, but that one over here has a little bit of a lacquer on it. And then with steel mace, some have like gnarling on the bottom that is really soft and some has gnarling that's like a, a little bit rougher. So the, that's where, you know, I kind of sound like a broken record, but I just love the tactility of the tools that you're able to use. And if you connect with a tool and you learn how to kind of create or like the skill becomes more innate where it just mm-hmm. becomes a therapeutic kind of, because side note, with circular patterns, humans are most drawn to circles. So once you kind of start creating circles around your body, it just kind of makes you feel good. And it builds a ton of strength too. I think it fills in a lot of those strength gaps because we're always told to sit, you know, push, pull, press, which is fantastic. But what I love about you, Dennis, and some of the stuff that you share, and you too, Neil, it's like you're always creative. You always add in a little bit of rotation. Or what did you do recently where I think you were pressing the ball into the wall. Oh yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Like I love that kind of stuff. Yeah, push and pull, full body tension. It, it's something yeah. that that people don't get anymore because so many people, and, and even before what's currently going on, even before yeah, yeah. all of this Corona, there is this migration to not having personal contact with each other. So where we as kids were growing up. 
we wrestled like we were on the playground, but you right. played tag and you wrestled and you, 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 you know, you, you, you try to grab the ball from each other, right? That type of thing. And now we're, we're seeing the younger generation going away from that. I'm observing that with right. my son. That's why I'm his wrestling partner, especially during like recently. And I'm, I, I put him in what I call a mom lock. I'm like, good luck, <laughs> good luck trying to get out. And like, I wrestle with him constantly because you're right. But when I go to the playground and I observe things, it's different. And I'm trying to figure out like, when did that happen? Cause when I was growing up, I was like on the monkey bars and jumping all over the place and falling. That's how I got my scar right on my forehead with the chicken pox still going strong, <laughs> you know, but like that was a part of being a kid. You fell, you got back up. It's yeah, I don't know crazy. when that changed. Cause well, it was the same thing for me. I think a lot of it. Well, we know a lot of it with, unfortunately, with litigation, yeah. uh, the way it is today. That had a lot to do with it, and insurance companies, of course, are saying, that's "Okay, true. this is." They're trying to cut costs, so and unfortunately, that's where most of it stems. And and we see with everything today, when you really peel back the layers, I think you can always look at litigation and insurance. Yep are the two driving forces that really dictate a lot of the decisions that companies and businesses make today and school systems and everything else. Even with the tools back here, because like I know I have friends who like want to bring maces into a gym and they can't do that. And it's like a liability thing, even when you have like enough space in, in all of that. So it it's ties over from not just the kids, it's, it's everywhere. Yeah, it is everywhere, you know, and that's unfo it's unfortunate. It's the world we live in today. And that's why I think what's interesting with the home workouts now, I think tools of like what we like to use that are unconventional are starting to pick up steam because now people can use these in their homes and people Absolutely. like yourself are educating them on how to use them. And then also like what you get is reflexive strength and reflexive control. And that is a real key component to like adding in tools that make you rotate or like when you're swinging and you have to pull like you're like, it's not just it. I think with mace training in particular, when I was first starting to, to teach workshops, people thought it was just like an upper body exercise. And I'm like, no, I mean, I'm like, you're connected through the feet, through the glutes, the legs are on your entire trunk on that pole is like a break. So I had to start saying like reflexive strength and reflexive control. It's like a, it's a, that timing, right? Yeah. So it's like, we, if you have that proper cast, it should go, the back swing should feel very similar to the, the swing of a kettlebell, that float, where mm -hmm. no matter if you're swinging 20, you know, 4 kg or 32 kg, it, there's that moment in time when it's weightless. Mm -hmm. So your grip should still be light. And the same thing applies with a mace. If I'm swinging, you know, 13 pounds or 30 pounds, my grip is still light. And there's, if the technique is spot on, then it's still, it's weightless. And then there's the float. And then there's that reflexive strength and control where you have to like put tension for that moment. And then it, if it's proper, if it's done well, then it sets you up to go into that second rep as seamless as the first one was. And that applies to a lot of things with training, but you don't quite get that from just a bench press where there's nothing wrong with bench pressing, but you know what I mean? Or overhead press. 
So like a lot of the stuff where you add in the different angles that you do with your movements, Dennis, that always resonates with me. I'm like, oh, I like that. <laughs> the thing with the physio ball and the band, the pushing and pulling yeah. was for me was a way of showing people, look, you can kind of simulate as close as you can wrestling with somebody else without actually yeah. having to make contact. So for me, it was kind of throwing that idea out there of, Here's a way to get somebody to do this that may be germophobic or touch phobic or that just doesn't want to, you know, so, you know, we get people like, oh, I don't like to be sweat on with by other people type thing. Right. So this for me was just kind of another thing to throw out there and say, okay, there's another way we can do this and we can get over that obstacle because that's part of coaching is getting over obstacles. Right. Yeah. Especially now, that's what I found. Like, it was interesting because I'd only done a little bit of online training before all this happened. And then I started doing a lot more like Zoom sessions with clients or I was getting new clients which were primarily other fitness professionals. So, you know, I'm so used to being hands-on with somebody that now through a screen, it's kind of like I had to become more efficient in queuing and just describing and my eye had it get crisper it's funny how we have to like adapt and i get questions a lot asking me because of the tools that i use if i do like bjj or any martial arts and i've always been interested in doing it i just don't have the time right now i mean possibly i could but i don't even know (laughs) but uh, that's something like in my like 10-year plan i want to get into mixed martial arts and i had done a little bit of muay thai with my buddy tom who make Tom Village, who makes a, quite a bit of my gatos over here for my workshops. And that was a lot of fun because I got to kick him around quite a bit. But I am like so game for that. And I don't mind the sweat. <laughs> well, you and your son can do it together. That'd be great. Oh, yeah. No, I've been wrestling. Like, <laughs> it's so much fun. But he's getting big now. He's like, my, my son's built like a football player. He's just like my brother was. My brother was a star athlete growing up. He was so good at like, football was his main sport. But uh, he was good at basketball and baseball, too. And it's funny to see that my son is built that way, but he's full-on musician. Like, he is in oh, his first oh. Yeah, he's been playing the cello since he was three. But it's oh, cool oh. watching the dexterity in his fingers and how he picks things up. So even though, like, music is very important to me and I like to train to music or certain beats... I'm not musical, but my son is. It's pretty cool to watch. So does he like to do any of the strength training that you do because he sees you do it all the time? Uh, You know, honestly, he's in Taekwondo. I've had ADD, excuse me, my whole life. So movement was the only way that I could process information and to like learn. So I was that kid that was always kind of like distracted and always moving. But I found that when I was in movement, I could process the information that I needed to you know, retain. Mm -hmm. And my son is the opposite. Like he's very like science and um, math. And I was always like English and history. So it's, it's interesting. Like in the beginning of quarantine, we got out into the woods all the time. So we were hiking until they closed the trails and I'll get him to do like a little bit of like kettlebells with me because I have the plastic kettlebells from back in the day from Art of Strength. And I fill them with sand or a couple of like the metal shots, like the BBs. And we'll do that together. But he's primarily just like a musician. So I'm always like kind of interested to see what happens to him as he gets into his teen years. We'll see. (laughs) I think one of the things that with wrestling, Mm -hmm. grappling, 
and, and things like mace and kettlebells is you learn manipulation right through the hands and the feet right and Absolutely. so that's that's something that most gym goers don't have any concept of is how what manipulation is and, and the and the role that it plays in moving with load so i watched your dr emily podcast i mean like because i went to the barefoot strong with you guys and then i i think i went two years and that was like another experience within like the last decade of education where i was so glad that i went because i'd always been interested in foot health especially because of my mom being crippled by arthritis head to toe and as a young girl i was like what can i do I don't know how much genetics is going to impact me, but what can I do to maybe slow that process down or eliminate some of the issues that I've seen my mother have and my grandmother on my father's side have? So I, I really pay a lot of close attention to what Dr. Emily shares. And, it, you know, obviously you guys with, with working with her numerous times, I still have my mat and I get on that often too. Fantastic. So you said they had closed the trails in your area. So they're not yeah. even outdoors, they're open, huh? Yeah. So oh, they are open. I normally go to Lake Mohegan and that is on the other side of town. And it's one of my favorite spots because I've been going there since I was a kid. But behind my condos here in the neighborhood over there's like these small trails and I had gone on them like a long time ago and kind of forgot about it. And my son and I were walking and I'm like, Leo, let's like hit up the trails. And I don't know if it was just everything that was happening with the stress level of canceling the tour. And then all of a sudden school stopping and work basically coming to like a screeching halt. When we got on those trails, I was like, Oh my God, nature. Thank you. Yeah. So like every day, Leo and I had a routine of going on the trails. Maybe about a month or five weeks into the pandemic, they closed it off. And then a cop would sit at the end of the road. And I was oh, like, wow. No. oh, wow. Because I so guess supposedly were. like teenagers were hanging out on the trail. And it was, basically, it's just like going through the backyards of a lot of places. But there's like a lot of, you know, trail in there. And it was pretty cool. I mean, that was like our thing. And now, like, I don't go into it too much because it ticks at, you know, everything is kind mm. of grown over. But in the beginning of quarantine, that was like my, my spot. I love it there. Now I go down to the beach when I can before they start checking the stickers. And I, I swing my clubs for like mental relaxation. Yeah, there's something about being in nature that just like clears your head. Yeah. Uh, that's the worst for me. No. It's so true. Whether you are into earthing or grounding, I know for a lot of listeners, they're probably like, what did you just say? Earthing and grounding, <laughs> getting back in, in touch or synchronization with the energy that nature has and gives off. Sharon and I were just in Colorado. So the river, like I could not wait to get out into the river and just stand in the river. Like it is just so energizing. It feels so right. Like How cold that. is that? It's not. That's what's interesting. So let's see. How long so ago were you there? Yeah. I, I just got back on Monday. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. So I was there. So what? It's August. It was probably like my feet went in the water. I'm like, it was cold. But literally within like three or four minutes, it felt like room temperature. Like it was no, like I didn't even notice it because it was just more about feeling the rocks under the feet totally. and, and just feeling that water just the constant current and the sound too the sound of the water all of that together just 
It's a different energy level, and you just get you're standing there, and you're just like, "This is fantastic." We did our normal vacation to Cape Elizabeth, Maine, at the Inn by the Sea, and we've been going for like the past fourteen years. I have to admit, though, like this summer, I like checked out of everything else, and I enjoyed every moment. Like in the morning, I get up before my husband and son. Just naturally, I'm like, "Why do I?" So I would go and walk the trail barefoot down from the inn and walk along the water down all along the Cape by the sea on the rocks, like no shoes and just hearing the sounds of everything. And we, I did that for five days and it was the exactly what I needed to kind of calm everything that kind of happened in the past few months. It was amazing. I totally hear you that cold water, the rocks, the sounds of the oh. animals and the, the ocean was like amazing. I, I miss it. It's almost like you wish you could, each person, especially in big cities, yeah, would be able to have, even for five, ten minutes, have some type of, even if it had to be virtual reality, some type of ability to get away from the congestion of city life and just understand what sunlight is, what running water is, what the feel of the grass is, what the feel of dirt and rocks are. So true. Right? And and how much more stress that would take. Are you near like a major city? I mean, San Jose is a city, but like, uh, you know, since I'm so close to Manhattan, I feel like everybody around here is so tied in. And like, even though it's beautiful around here, it's I I think you just kind of forget that you need to, to make that connection into nature and take your movement out there too. It doesn't always have to be in a gym. You could take your tools with you go down by the water, get in the sand, go to the park. You know, I don't see a lot of people like training at the parks here. I, I pop into a park and I'm like the only one. <laughs> working but people think how they have to be in an enclosed environment to train. That's, is that yeah. like, is, is yeah, that? If it doesn't say gym, then you can't work out. <laughs> right. <laughs> you, you ask, you say, Hey, let's go to the park and work out. Like people kind of look at you like you're an oddball. They're like, huh? I know a lot of trainers that use the parks right now to train their clients. Like I, I have a, a personal trainer that I'm training who is actually a referral from Jason, who I met at the stick mobility certification oh, at Chelsea nice. here. And we became close friends. Yes. And, you know, he's been training his clients in the park and now it's like figuring out like, how do they get back into the gym but around here, like, I, I think they were restricting people from training people outside for a while. So it's like, I don't know how long this is going to go on for. But I mean, I highly recommend people grab their tools and just head out on their own for a little bit if they can anywhere nearby. Yeah, I know in my neighborhood, it's the most, you know, I've ever seen people walk like during walking. this whole pandemic. Yeah, like yes, you, never, you never see people running around or walking, everyone's sitting at home, but because they can't do anything. Everyone just walks around the neighborhood. I met so many people. I mean, yeah. I'm like walking like a fiend. So I'm like, in hello and good day. And just having like, we just <laughs> lost power. So that the hurricane came and my in-laws just got power yesterday. Oh. And we were out four days. Yeah, oh, it, it like decimated. It was the third worst power outage in Connecticut history. And oh, really? there was no rain. It was just wind. Just wind. <laughs> yeah, just wind. The trees well, were uprooted everywhere. It was crazy. And then yeah. the, like, I'm thinking, I'm like, man, it's like this 
2020 yes we're geez. <laughs> <laughs> well some people in manhattan had posted that their buildings that they hadn't felt move were like oh, just rocking back and forth when i was training client at the gym when my son's camp called and they're like hey you know we lost power because i finally got him into a camp because everything was canceled and i got him into taekwondo camp i had to go pick him up and i was driving through it and i was like oh my god and like power lines <laughs> coming down and i was like Leo, oh Leo. damn the car <laughs> like, oh wow got back and then everything was like it was wild so are our playgrounds open there now no i could walk it's about maybe like a little less than a mile to the school that my son goes to and he's going into fifth grade and they have a baseball field that's at the bottom of the playground that sometimes i'll go and work out and it's funny because the kids will be on recess and they're like, there's Leo's mom. And I'm like, hey, kids, <laughs> I got, like all my stuff out on the baseball field. Leo's like not embarrassed yet, but I'm pretty sure that's going to so come. He'll, he will yeah. soon. Yeah. Be like, oh, geez. Yeah. But they, they roped off the, the playground like during this. Yeah, and now, like, and that was like there. just driving by. I'm like, man. So it's been tough trying to keep like Leonardo active and myself active like i thought okay i'm gonna have all this time to like work out and stuff and it (laughs) not really it's like i feel like i'm not working as much in the sense of like how many client sessions that i'm doing a day as i would normally prior to all this happening but the online training requires a lot of like the programming filming editing writing things out and i realize that takes a lot of time so then it's like i'll be at an in-home client then maybe I'll have a client at the gym because I only have a couple people that are comfortable training at the gym. Or then I have like a Zoom session and then I'm parenting the whole time. Like after we're done, he's coming with me to a client. Then I'll drop him off at home, grab dinner, drop it off. And then I have to go across town to a client. So it's very weird. And my training and using these tools is like really helping me just like mentally get through everything. So how how often are you training yourself? I still move daily, but it's, you know, I mean, like, this is a testament to kind of like stick mobility too, though, to be serious, like, because I do dumb free squats. And before the pandemic, I was in a deadlifting routine that I did for myself. And I was using stick mobility to kind of prime. So, you know, when you go to the squat rack, and you do that, the tension and creating and irritating the fascia and and lighting up the body. And then I would go and deadlift. I hadn't done that for a while. And last week was the first time I had actually barbell and trap bar deadlifted since March. And I didn't even warm up, which I don't recommend, but sometimes I, (laughs) you know, go into it because I trust my base, right? There's a reason why I have this foundation that I work hard for. And I actually pulled more than I did in March from cold. And I was like, Geez, I took a break from pressing, not on purpose, but recently I got back into pressing and I was surprised how like the 20 kg, I was like, okay, I got that again. You know, today I push pressed it because I was sore from training the other day. But it's funny how like if you're just consistent or there's like a complementary training style, you don't lose that much. Yeah, because you're you still understand how to access. Yeah. What, when it's necessary. Yeah, uh, was a Ke- Dr. Kelly Starrett, ready state, right? That's what he talks about. Ready state. That's why he calls it the ready state. You have to be ready at a moment's notice, regardless of what it is. But you have a base, so you set your base. And as long as your base is solid, 
you should be good. I'll do that sometimes. Like when I got the meals from England, I had not swung that heavy yet. And because my other meals are 6.75 pounds each and eight pounds each. So with going to 12.5, I was like, mm-hmm, okay. And then I literally just did not, I took them out of the, the plastic, picked them up and like went to swinging And I was like, wow, it was almost like that little bit of added weight almost forced me into the technique, you know, kind of like how kettlebell swing, like if it's too light, you're like, hey, man, woo. But then when you you know, right, then when you have like that weight that tests you, you're like, whoa, I've got to like dial in. And that's what I found with that. And and I think just that that's why I love the crossover of circular patterns. So whether it's a meal, a mace, Indian club, jewelry, whatever it may be, or steel club, but like everything improves across the board. So like my pulls are better. My presses are better. My pushes are better. And I believe that's because I cross the midline of the body and, and I create that transverse turn through the shoulder and I access, you know, like another reason why I know I know I'm kind of backtracking, but why I wanted to incorporate Indian clubs into the sturdy athlete program is like I hear all the time, like, you know, a woman or it could happen to a man too, you know, oh, I was driving and I reached back to go grab something on the back seat and I tore my rotator cuff. Oh. And I'm like, what? Like, yeah. you know, so if you're doing a lot of these patterns in your tendons, your ligaments, your tissues, I, I personally believe they could become more resilient. I wish there was like some scientific project right now with like circular training and, and how there's a crossover into improving either your lifts or your, your, you know, your sports performance and stuff. I just think that would be fantastic if somebody could do that. If you're going to be strong, you have to understand mm-hmm. torque. And yes. you have to understand rotation. And what I think we find amusing is a lot of times people that are trying to learn rotational sports or participate in rotational sports. And then when you look at their training <laughs> and it's all linear and it's linear, linear predominant, you're kind of like scratching your head going, uh, there's not that logical connection that there, there should be. So if you're, oh. if you're trying to play, live in a, in a, line, in a rotational sport, then you better be good at it rotation wise. That brings me back to like early on when I was starting off in corporate fitness, like I was like, okay, so we have a bunch of these people who play golf and tennis and rotate all day long, but then they come from the PT. This is like 17 years ago. And they'd be like, I can't rotate. But I was like, Mm. so confused. I'm like, but you just were playing tennis when you were definitely rotating. But now that you're in the gym (laughs) environment, your PT says you can't rotate. So they're prepping you for a sport, but you're not supposed to rotate. So do you remember that? It, there was like a period of time where like everybody was like, I can't rotate. And I'm like, but did you roll out of bed? Did you rotate, you know, when you went to get something from the ground and put it up <laughs> on the cabinet? You know, like it was strange. But I, I think PT has evolved so much like over the years. When was it? Is it four years ago now that I came out to San Jose? Because I've met a lot of uh, like. Yeah, I think PT. it's been four years. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's been four years. 2016. Yeah. Right. And I've met a lot of PTs through stick mobility certifications or reaching out and asking about stick mobility. And that's all kind of changed. It seems like there was like kind of the, a different mindset 17 years ago when I got started in the industry to like the mindset now 
where people are realizing that your body moves as a unit and you need to cross the midline of the body. You need to rotate, you know, it's interesting. Yeah. And there's also that understanding of what you said earlier with lateral tissue lines, right? Yes. And being strong on that frontal plane. I mean, there's, for me, one of the biggest interactions I had where with a coach and really it smacked me upside the head as to how limited our industry is in understanding frontal plane strength was when I went to go flip something on that frontal plane and he said, oh, you're going to throw your back out doing that. And I was all like, no, this is what you do so that you don't throw your back out. And so this gentleman was actually a strength and conditioning coach for a division one, a volleyball team. And I'm thinking, I'm going, that's like your volleyball players all need that because when they go to, they're going to coil like David exactly. would say, yeah, they're yeah. going to hinge and coil to get that elastic property to be able to spring out of it. They're going to try to get as much potential energy as possible and then boom, come out of it. So if you're staying all linear, yeah, it's different, but it's similar with like swinging like Neil or Jory, because you have to tie into that. You have to create the, the, it's the misconception is that it's just from the shoulder. Yes. The shoulder is involved, but there's an elbow circle. And when that elbow circle and crossing that midline of body, all of that is fired up. Like, and that's why years ago I started to get interested in other cultures and how did people train thousands of years ago? Mm-hmm. And when I came across Anthony with like the Balava, I started doing a little bit of research and then I got pregnant and then I got sick. So once I started healing from the colitis is when I really started to dive more into circular patterns. And that's when I got, you know, um, into more into the mace training again, the Indian clubs again. And then eventually started collaborating with Paul. And I find that if it worked for thousands of years, how come all of a sudden, like everything had to become so linear? In Iran, the men train in the Zirkane, in the goat, in the, that's what they call the, the gym inside is the Zirkane. Okay. That's the Palavani wrestlers. And then in India, it's the, their gym is the Akara. They're also Palavani wrestlers. And I think like incorporating those practices makes sense in a modern world. I think, you know, it kind of fills in the gaps because we've always been told to be here, here, Mm -hmm. here. And in those movements, you're, you know, you're incorporating full body. And there's also like, you know, the history of like striking and shield and how, you know, they train for warfare. And then that warfare turned into wrestling practices. And that's where I, a lot of BGJ people do circular training. There's a yeah, I've seen you work with these giant shields. Oh, those are the sayings. Yeah. Okay, I, sayings. I, I, are those, those are right behind you, right? Yeah. These are leftover from the workshop, or excuse me, the certification that I hosted. They're 10 kg, which okay. is oh, pretty, pretty heavy. Yeah, it's awkward. <laughs> Yeah. And I really, really like them. And then I have a local friend of mine who he actually builds like really cool, like wood speakers for people. He gets like interesting wood types and he, he wants to make me a pair of sings. And I would like to go up in weight and, you know, like the, because of the weight. So like typically the sings are like 20 kg. They're a different type of wood. This is, these are from Iran, but it's kind of like a, a plywood. You know, they're not that durable. Durable. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. 
So yeah, they're not that thick. You can't block. Wood. You can't block a, a mace hit or a sword with it, basically. No, but <laughs> when you're pressing them and you're doing the articulations, they're challenging. And they, you know, it, it's I love it because when you're going into like the the chest press with them, the the concept is to have them like really level and close together without touching. So they have to be like nice and flat without touching, and that's really a challenge when. You know, the, the grip is in the center and then you have to kind of cover and control that whole mass. And it's, it's, it's interesting when you start to go into like going out to the side. So like you'll go like a regular chest press and then you could go one forward, one, one down, one sideways. Yeah. There's all these variations. It's fantastic. Oh, that's cool. fascinated by it because I love being strong in like moving in different planes of motion. When I was the first one at New York Sports Club that I worked at to bring in the kettlebell, so I brought my own in. I brought my own TRX before they bought a TRX, the battle ropes, because I got them from Anthony. I was always like, you know, there's got to be more. And when I found like clubs and stuff like that, it really clicked because, okay, like clubs have been around for since the dawn of mankind, if you think about it, you know, and, and there's a reason why they were, were used and a reason why they became more of a sport. So they went from warfare into sport. And I think a lot of people could benefit from incorporating them. doesn't have to be, you know, your main training tool, but it's much like stick mobility could be your main training tool if you want, or you could use it to enhance or complement, you know, another modality. And that's what I love about movement is I love exploring all the gray areas. Because when I see stuff, I, I see possibility. I don't see like, that's why when people always ask me in a podcast, it happens every time. <laughs> and they're like, describe yourself. And I'm like, no idea how. <laughs> because I think that I just see like little elements everywhere. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. And that'll tie into this. And that can complement that. And I think as an industry, sometimes we're told to kind of follow that, that one path. And it's fantastic to specialize in things, absolutely, or to kind of just have your thing. But I think being open-minded is, is really key. Because we've talked before about people way back in the day, <clears throat> pound for pound across, across the whole demographic, yeah. were probably much stronger than we are today. Yeah, you know, oh, I mean, it was a necessity. It, right? it had, had to be. You had to you had, you had no choice. You had to fight. Yeah, right? you had no choice. Because I'll tell you, if you're if you're using a twenty pound shield, yes, which they were they were either wood, heavy wood, or they were metal. They were steel, right? Yep. So they weren't light either way. And then your sword was typically probably about a good five kg on average. So. You get pretty damn strong learning how to move around and be explosive and not including the chain mail that you may have been wearing exactly. to protect the body. So you and they were and they were much smaller than we are today and they still did this. So pound for pound, I would say they were much stronger than You know what was interesting board. about the certification? We had a farmer there. He played everything. And he was not in the, like, so we had 26 people at the certification and he was a farming, he worked, he works the farm and he yep. did everything, you know, and I remember my dad telling me, so I, it's kind of funny, but my, my Hungarian great grandmother had a manure farm <laughs> and my dad was like, she worked the farm every day and she was strong as steel. 
And, you know, and I'm like, that's, we don't do that. Well, you know, and there's many people that still work the farm. I don't live in, you know, an atmosphere where I'm working the farm, but I, I, that's like, that's the real strength there. Yeah, for sure. Preparing for battle, working a farm. And now like we're trying to, I guess, in some ways recreate some of that. But I agree with you is we're not as strong, I think, as we once were. But to tie back into the beginning when we were talking about women, women have been strong all this time, all along. Like, imagine, like, backpacking across the desert while you're pregnant, kid on your back while you're carrying stuff, plus walking a camel and carrying something else on top of that on your, you know, I mean. So it's like when women go fret over three pounds, it makes me sad (laughs) because I think, you know, we're more capable than we are told to be or yes. own to be. But uh, I, I looked at the clock, guys. I yeah, have to yeah, better get going. We're going to have to cut this Dude, short. I know. This was hey, so much work fun. Work. <laughs> well, we will have you on again soon. So I love that. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate you, Kelly. And uh, thanks for spreading the message that, ladies, it's it's good to be strong. And there's nothing wrong with that. So and don't everybody. Like, what's to come? You know, right. I know is like it's important to think about the moment, but think about the years to come, the importance of your hands, the importance of your feet. That's really important for longevity and to be able capable when you're older, because I'm not going to stop. <laughs> I want to swing this stuff well into my 70s and beyond if I'm lucky. <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. Be the example, kiddo. All right. Well, thank you very much, Kelly. And then uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us on this podcast. And until next episode, everybody out there, be good to each other. That's a fantastic message.